Hello, friends, and welcome to But I Digest. My name is Hans Rufert. And my name is Steve McDonough. On every episode of the podcast, we like to dive into a specific food or ingredient, extracting the yolks of its history, cracking the outer shell to reveal its hidden heroes, and celebrating all of its glorious, sometimes scrambled hoopla. It's eggs! Hey, you jumped the gun. It's eggs. No, no, I'm just guessing. Am I right? Is Uh, it eggs? Yes, you are absolutely correct. It is a basket of eggs. A little late for for Easter, but that's all right. Um... It's it's a it's a, a non seasonal ingredient that is eaten all over the world every day every lunch every night, uh, so yeah time to do eggs now I have to warn you it's a huge freaking topic yeah uh, I mean there's just you know yeah we can't just do eggs and feel like we've uh, exhausted this topic we're gonna have to do separate little egg things at some point because right. people are gonna be hungry for more egg info no for sure ovo, ovo info. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably going to be some uh, some excellent uh, egg puns today. That's not one of them. That's not one of them. Exactly. Correct. Um, so, but yeah, so let's try to narrow our scope a little bit. Um, we, so in for the purpose of our conversation, we're really kind of talking about bird eggs, but humans eat all sorts of eggs. We, we eat them from uh, reptiles, from amphibians, obviously from fish in the form of caviar. Uh, but I have to share with you, even though our focus again is going to be on bird eggs, I have to share a little bit about what I had to learn, and so therefore you're going to have to learn about frog eggs because I eat, I've eaten plenty of caviar, I've eaten frog legs, but the idea of eating frog eggs never even crossed my mind. I mean, have you ever yeah. looked at them and thought, "Ooh, yummy"? No, I don't know anything about them. Oh, yeah, that's and, like they—they like you find them in a pond in a lake. Yeah, right? they're like this gelatinous. They kind of remind me of boba a little bit, and that they they're, float, right? They're, they float in this gooey gelatinous mass. Yeah, yeah, we have them in little, our, at our lake yeah. in uh, our lake house in Michigan sometimes. And they, they got little black specks in the middle, which is the developing polywog or frog. Mm-hmm. So, what do you imagine? Uh, so, in the in the parts of the world where they eat frog eggs, what do you think they call frog eggs as a food? Like the name of frog eggs. There, there's, there's a name. Incredible uh, frog eggs. Oof de frog. <laughs> I was hoping it had something to do with like potential polywog or something, but no, oh. it's just caviar. They call it frog caviar. Oh, all right. Uh, which is That's a bit of a letdown. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. But so people do actually eat uh, frog eggs and they're usually eaten raw with a little bit of vinegar. Uh, or they are boiled or steamed, and they're served often with a vinegar-based sauce or with butter. And uh, they're supposed to be kind of slightly naturally salty with a little slight tartness. I'm Again, sorry, this is what you're opening with, and you think people are going to listen to the rest of this? Well, I mean, my good stuff is at the end, and no one's going to listen anymore. Cause they've well, all... no, hang on, hang on. What We're are gonna... you doing? I, I just thought Hi, that welcome was... welcome to the Egg Podcast. The first thing I want to do is tell you something really <laughs> disgusting but... about floating lake eggs with dots in them that are going to be polywogs but if you make mix them with vinegar what are you doing is that but here's here's my question so they're eaten in north africa the middle east but i started thinking is it really that much weirder than eating a bird egg i mean when you think about it i mean the the quick answer i know is yes but it to me it just it 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 kind of changed my focus to what we think of as normal it's not necessarily normal right so uh, that's where we're, we're going to leave the frog eggs in the pond. No frogs or polywogs were harmed in the making of this podcast. 
Uh, so let's I do let's love shift the word here. polywog though. I do too. It was I, I, just to say the word polywog. It's a great it's a great word. We don't use right. it often enough. Tadpoles just seems a little like the redneck version of a tadpole. You know, <laughs> it's just a tadpole, but polywog has got a different. Yeah, different tadpole's thing. cute too. Yeah, well, so so let's shift our gear to what we're what the main focus was. Sorry for that little uh, went no, down the not. the rabbit hole there with the frogs. Um, so. Humans, uh, that referring to you and I and hopefully everybody that's listening, uh, have been eating bird eggs, we think, for about six million years. And eating them originally, of course, harvested from nests from wild birds and typically eating them raw as other animals do. There's, I mean, almost every predator loves to eat not only the eggs, but the things that lay the eggs. But they're almost a perfect food. They're self-contained. They're full of protein. Uh, and much like how seeds, when they sprout, are really at their highest level of, of concentrated nutrition, eggs are kind of the same way because that is the, the encapsulated everything that that future animal needs to, to, to hatch and grow into this animal, right? So it's super mm-hmm. concentrated nutrition. Okay. So, which is, you know, again, and it comes in a nice little handy, uh, non-messy package. container. Exactly right. Exactly right. And biodegradable. Yep. <laughs> Biodegradable to boot. So um, now the the idea of now domesticating these these birds for eggs started somewhere around 7500 BCE. So long time ago. Right. So and of course, that that begs the, the question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? That's a that's one of those logical circles that we want to go down that road. But essentially, the thing that we call a chicken was domesticated from a small jungle fowl from sort of Southeast Asia. And if you look at, especially in my neck of the woods, there are a lot of what we call fighting cocks, right? The sort of fighting roosters. That's kind of what the in original... my neck of the woods too. <laughs> that's, gotcha. It's like the, the thirty two hundred block of. Got it. Belmont. Got it. Well, the, uh, the what I mean is the sort of smaller with the long plumage, you know, especially the roosters have that sort of long, dark green, shiny plumage. That's kind of what we're thinking of when we think of the original uh, chicken or, or these jungle fowl. Uh, but those animals only laid about a, a dozen eggs a year. So over the course of several millennia, and uh, as humans love to do, we like to selectively breed things to better suit our, our needs. A domesticated hen now is capable of laying more than 300 eggs a year, and they lay year-round. Again, whereas before, the jungle fowl would only, during the breeding season, would lay about a dozen eggs. Um, so we made uh, we made efficient chickens that are not only bigger, but they also shoot out a lot more eggs throughout the year. Huh. Um, so now, Gail keeps uh, chickens, you know. I do, and in fact, I was going to get to Gail because a lot of us have friends that have chickens. I have chickens. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of strange. Again, our, fr- our friend Gail Gann has them. Some people are squeamish about eating eggs from backyard chickens, my, my mom being one of them. Like, she will buy dozens of store-bought eggs, but if I bring her eggs from my chickens— I get that. I little, get that. First yeah. of all, uh, Gail's eggs, by the way, I don't, I don't know what kind of—yeah, they are beautiful. Yeah. I'll, post, I'll post a picture, That's but a they're just all, they all look like they've already been dyed in kind of Martha Stewart colors. Yeah. <laughs> they're just beautiful. Restoration hardware eggs. Yes, yes, yes they're really beautiful. Um, but I get that because I won't eat duck eggs. Oh, really? There's no, there's no reason other than it makes me squeamish. Oh, yeah. Just does. Well, and I, not I, stupid. I, well, it, so it is, but that's, that goes back to what's normal and what's not normal. I love duck eggs too. Turkey eggs are delicious. So, um, 
What's what's interesting about that? A lot of people just assume that the backyard chicken eggs are by default fertilized, which not, is not necessarily the case. We don't have to have a rooster. Not that we're going to go too deep into uh, sex ed or biology 101, but you don't have to have a rooster to have eggs, right? So the, the hens are going to lay eggs. Right. Really, all right. they need is light. I mean, yes, as long as they have that. exposure to light. Right. Yes. So, but if they were to be fertilized, the yolk is not the future chicken. And again, I'm just saying this for people that are squeamish that think that the yolk is the future chicken. It's not. The, what is the future chicken is this tiny, tiny little infinitesimally pinhead size mass of cells uh, that sits on the yolk that will eventually, you know, turn into the chicken. The yolk is just... Is the, that like the red dot? It can be sometimes. Yeah, it can be that little like squiggly... So like, yeah, yeah. So is it possible that you can get like a dozen eggs from the supermarket and open one up and it might have been fertilized? It can be, yes. And, and oftentimes... Like I, I feel like I've seen a red dot on you have, eggs and before. And is that what that is? It can be, yeah. So they oftentimes, even in the commercial hen houses, again, you don't have to have a rooster to have uh, the chickens lay eggs. But if there is a rooster, they tend to be more productive. So oftentimes they will put roosters in uh, into a commercial hen house. And then, then, then invariably some of the eggs will get fertilized. But Usually, those eggs are harvested the day that they are laid, so there is uh -huh. no chicken there yet, right? Yeah. So, don't want to get into some deep philosophical uh, conversation here, but essentially, that that is, uh, it's just a, it's just an egg. Don't don't overthink it, right? It's just a. So, whether it's a backyard egg or it's uh, it's one from the store, you're not eating a baby chicken at that point, right? So, that's I want to I want to clear your conscience. It's totally fine to eat Gail Gans chickens' eggs. Uh, or the ones that I give you because I got lots of lots of extra eggs. Um, so I wanted to get that out of the way. Now we are the only country, meaning the U.S. is the only country that refrigerates our eggs. Have you have you noticed that when you travel? Yeah, it's not surprising, right? I mean, you can get milk, shelf stable milk yeah. in France, and you know they don't they don't refrigerate the butter. We stopped refrigerating our butter ages oh, yeah. ago. That is so much so much easier to work with and yeah. so the same with the eggs i mean they they last a, a long time they, you know once you've refrigerated though you have to keep them refrigerated so that's a that's just a little thing if somebody hands you eggs that have already been refrigerated keep them in the fridge but a a fresh egg straight from the farm does not need to be refrigerated ah um, how about that yeah. does it have does it have a uh, an expiration date like a shelf life like are they only good for a certain amount of time before yeah they... i mean i would say within 10 to 14 days would be the best time but that's I, a I long did, time. It is a long time. Yeah, exactly. Now, there is a, a really cool test, and I got this from the Farmer's Almanac, and I know folks who've done this. I know what you're going to talk oh, about. Oh, you know? Good. Go so uh, how to test if an egg is fresh. So you take an egg in your right hand, you throw it against a, a brick wall as fast as you can. <laughs> and if it, no, I'm kidding. I was just kidding. <laughs> I was going to see where that went. That, but yeah, that joke, rather, it, it went nowhere. Let's just yeah. talk about the frog eggs it's, again. Just it's really splatted. tank this episode. It's splatted. No, so if you if you have eggs that someone's given you or you've forgotten when did you buy them or they didn't have a little – the chicken wasn't trained to print out a sell-by date as it laid it, um, you put them in, uh, in some water. So you, you float the eggs in, in water, and if it's a very fresh egg, the egg is kind of full and heavy, and it feels heavy for its size, and it sinks to the bottom, right? And even kind of like tips up to one side. Um, if it's kind of in the middle, it'll actually remain kind of suspended in the water, like it's, you know, on a yeah. string, like hanging in the midway. And if it comes all the way to the top, technically it is stale. Now, that doesn't mean it's bad. It just has more air in it because the, the egg membrane is, is breathable so, they, uh, so that the little potential chicken could, uh, could breathe in there. So over time, more, a more air infiltrates the egg. So if you don't know and you don't want to try throwing it at the wall and see if it sticks, you can put it in a, in a glass of water. 
Um, I thought you were going to talk about candling eggs. Oh, no. So candling eggs is a different thing, too. And you can actually get an egg candling license. So in order for me to legally be able to sell uh, the eggs for my chickens, you have to get an egg candling license. And essentially, um, you are Explain holding what that means sure. to people. You're holding the uh, the fresh egg or the, the egg from your chicken up to a, a bright light. In the old days, it was a candle. But now they actually make little uh, little specific flashlights that are even kind of contour shaped to fit right on the egg. And that you can see then how how much air to uh, to egg ratio is in there, uh, and it and actually for people that are raising chickens that are that are looking, you can see sort of the development of the chicken in there as well. If you're if you're raising the baby, so egg candling just means that you're holding it up to a strong light source to kind of determine the the age or the fertility of a of a certain yeah. egg. So cool. Uh, yep, pretty good. Now it's interesting. I can sell eggs from my front yard without a candling license, but if I Step away from my own property. I have to have a license to sell my eggs. So, oh, yeah, a lot of shady alley uh, egg uh, exchanges going on uh, these days. Yeah, you're out of your trunk. Yeah, well, we'll get to we'll get to the price of eggs here uh, in a bit. But so I want to get back to you mentioned that duck eggs kind of kind of sh- what was the word you used? Sheave, skeeve, they skeeve you out, skeeve you out just a bit. So, um, but. Bird eggs uh, all over the world kind of depends on where you live. Now, in areas that have more coastal areas or or a lot of waterfront area, they eat duck eggs because you don't need quite as much land. They they spend a lot of time in the water and then they lay eggs. Uh, they're a little bigger, a little heavier. They're higher in protein. They're really they're fantastic eggs. And as I mentioned, I uh, used to raise turkeys and had I eat turkey eggs all the time. People eat quail eggs. Um, yeah. We do those eggs. for catering because they're so nice and small oh, yeah. that if you're like serving like we did, uh, we would do a, a hash, like individual hashes in these tiny little um, skillets. Oh, gosh, they were so cute. And it would be a, like on a buffet. People could just take these and we put a little quail egg, fried quail egg on top and it would be perfect. Really cute. I love them. And in uh, my travels to Ecuador, one of the popular street foods there is a little bag of about uh, 12 little hard-boiled quail eggs. And so they serve it with a little wooden toothpick, the boiled quail eggs, and they put lemon juice and cumin and salt uh, on there. And it's like 50 cents for a dozen boiled quail eggs. And they're so Are they good. shelled? or uh, they're Ready to eat. Yeah, just pop. Yeah. Ready to go. Yeah. Uh, and quail eggs have that very creamy kind of uh, the yolk. It's very creamy when it's boiled. It's a really good thing. Now, but... Uh, I know we're going to talk about England in the future, but that uh, for folks who don't know Steve, he is uh, from the uh, from the old oh, empire for first generation. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, do you ever go down to Navy Pier, see the seagulls flying and get like this mysterious craving for a, a seagull quiche? No, yeah, that, eggs. that is a British delicacy. This is not where I thought you were going with eggs today. Oh my <laughs> God. I thought you were going to talk about like good ways to cook them oh, well, and we'll what's get... delicious. But you're like, I... hi, everyone. I'm Hans <laughs> Rufer. I want to tell you about all the disgusting ways to use an egg and what dirty, dirty birds will poop out an egg that you can put on your breakfast table for your family. How is that any more weird? I mean, what what, what makes that weird? A I seagull just, egg versus just, a chicken I'm egg? I'm never going to eat eggs again. Yes, you are. Yes, eggs. you are. We're going to go. All right, so seagull eggs. What what the hell is it? No, so I just thought that was. Us? That was so in Scandinavian countries, when I can kind of see the Scandinavians, they're going to eat puffin eggs and seagull eggs and walrus eggs if they if they could get such a thing. Uh, but I didn't realize that there was a delicacy in the UK, which, you know, I think of fish and chips. But now I'm going to think about the seagulls flying overhead. And... Now people are eating those now. 
That's a thing now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still. You're it not is talking still, about like 1700s. Say I mean, now, people the, in England yes, are eating yeah. seagull eggs. A- apparently, you it know is what? still. What? I, I am. <laughs> when we're done, I'm going to Google. All of you, just, <laughs> just feel free to pause this and Google this shit. It, it's Find a thing, out. and you have to have a license to be able to harvest the the uh, eggs. Because you have a license to be able to eat a seagull egg. <laughs> you might need one. It's been a while since you've been back to the old country, I guess. But that's. But this is what happened since you left. Oh, is man. there? Yeah, since Brexit, they're eating seagull we're, eggs. We're all we're all going to Google that. We have to Google it. So uh, the, the other bird that I want to mention is, of course, oh, ostrich something eggs. else disgusting that poops Whoa. out eggs. No, <laughs> how is that any weirder than chickens? But ostrich eggs, which, uh, as you know, is one of the largest eggs on the planet, if not the largest egg on the planet. Uh, they can cost fifty dollars each, and one egg is the equivalent of about two dozen large yeah. chicken eggs. Uh, it weighs about three pounds, and each egg contains about 2,000 calories. Now, did you ever do like a buffet with a giant skillet and a giant ostrich egg? <laughs> <laughs> Funny you should, yeah, they wanted those inflatable pools. Oh, yeah. Funny you should say that. I believe it was last summer that Dan got a hold of an ostrich egg, and we, uh, I did we drill a hole in it? We did, I don't remember how how we got into it, but we got into it, and I gave Nate ostrich eggs oh, for wow. breakfast, scrambled ostrich eggs, and put the the empty, clean egg in front of him so that he could be impressed by it. But if he's, he's 17, so he's like, oh, we're doing ostrich <laughs> eggs impressed. now. Like nothing, nothing. Not like here's an ostrich egg. He's like, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'm playing uh, video games yeah. and- Going to Starbucks to get an impossible, to get a yes. sandwich there. Um, so you mentioned drilling into it. Those things are just like a freaking- I mean, it's crazy. I mean, it really yeah. is crazy. Well, you know why? Because once it drops out of an ostrich's butt, it's got it's got a far drop. It does, it's, and they're it's got a good four or five feet. It's got to fall. And they're heavy birds that sit on them. I mean, it's a it's a you know hundred plus pound bird that's going to sit on the thing. So yeah, you're By right. By the way, before you like complain, I know they're not coming out of the butt. I I, I wasn't going to go there. You you know, but you're right. You're right. No, I'm just talking about people. Dear yes. internet, Steve thinks <laughs> that birds actually poop eggs. I know they don't poop eggs. It's they... a cloak. Cloaca, to be technical, they're oh, from their, it's really? coming out of their cloaca. Um, so that's, that's a, a euphemism points. if ever I, heard I, one. I got to use the word cloaca and polywog in the same uh, podcast, so I'm getting bonus points. Um, so okay, so all well, I'm going to stop talking about weird uh, varieties of eggs, uh, but I want to talk about why eggs. Like, so why why are eggs? Why are we even talking about eggs? Number one, as I mentioned earlier, they are really ounce for ounce one of the most nutritious foods on the planet. Uh, they are natural, a source of inexpensive, high quality, easy to digest protein, which is uh, I'm on board for that. Um, and half of the protein is actually in the white. Now, there's kind of a myth that all the protein is in the yolk. It's actually kind of 50 50. But the um, the protein that's in the whites is actually lower in fat. So. You know, there's there's a there's a great I'll see if I can find the video of this time traveling guy that was that comes in the 60s and says, oh, we just learned don't eat eggs. They're bad for you. And in the 70s, huh. the time traveler comes back and says, oh, yeah. no, we were wrong. Have you seen that? Uh, it's, no, no, I just know it. I lived it. Oh, yeah, we lived it. I mean, every right? time you turned oh, around. My gosh. Don't eat eggs. Do eat eggs. Do eat eggs and only oh, eat them this that went way. Back and forth. I was terrified of eggs for a while. Don't scramble them because for a while they said if you mix the white, so they said, you know, anyway, every time yeah. a nutritionist, and I love my nutritionist friends, but come on. It's just yeah, crazy. Yeah, the eggs have been like a target. Yeah. Well, again, we've eaten them for millions of years and we've turned out pretty okay up until about the last eight years Mainly or so. It was cholesterol, wasn't it? They're like, don't that eat was, eggs, yes. you, your cholesterol right. will. Suddenly you, your, your, yeah. your, your veins will be filled with yolk. 
Yep, yeah, but it was it was the it was the fat they were cooking them in, or again, it was just so. There's a lot of uh, misinformation. We won't go too deep into that, but uh, one of the cool things again, so they not only protein, they have vitamin B2, which is really what eggs are one of the only natural sources of that in our diet. They also have a lot of selenium, which uh, you might have heard of selenium before. It's really important in, in for pregnant women. It's an antioxidant that kind of helps regulate your thyroid and also helps bolster your immune system and mental health. It also has vitamin D, B6, B12, zinc, and iron. So again, ounce for ounce, stupid nutrition capsule. I mean, for lack of yeah. a better word, it's all, yeah. all there. You know, they add it to mustard too. Oh, as a, as a kind of a stabilizer or they as a do. It's, uh, it's selenium Dijon. <laughs> oh, That's my God. I did, somebody's going to write in and go, wait, I don't get it. But it's selenium. I got selenium it. Selenium Dijon. Oh. oh, okay. Our show must go on. Um, so in the still kitchen, better information about than that, than yes, that seagull the, information or the frog eggs. I wonder if you could oh, mix the two. For God's sake. If a, if a Natalie, seagull ate a frog. Can cut that part out so we don't lose <laughs> listeners? Oh my gosh! It's like a it's like a turducken. If a seagull eats a frog, it, all right. Anyway. Where where else you got? So wait. you mentioned so you mentioned so eggs in the kitchen. So we know they're nutritious in the kitchen. They are quite honestly one of the most versatile foods, uh, and you can use them in every meal, every snack, breakfast, lunch, dinner, brunch, every world cuisine. And we use them not only as a center of the plate. The the ingredient adds structure. It adds stability. It adds protein, and it's become like really one of the most you know, they talk about in the in humans, all humans laugh and that's and all humans cry. There are very few things that all humans do mm. and all humans kind of eat eggs. I mean, it's it's one of those across all platforms, across all economic strata, everybody from rich to poor eats eggs. And I think that's kind of what's kind of cool. Well, except for the vegans, but that's not what you mean. Well, that, that's you know what I mean? So right. in general, right. right. I just we just need to say that because oh, we got in there going, we about the vegans. So we we, we heard you. We hey, but you. They, you're eating the egg substitutes and there's some good ones out there. So um, because, again, if you don't eat eggs, you got to find something that's going to be that stability and that protein. So because it is so ubiquitous, when the world kind of went sideways a few years ago and COVID hit, we saw not only the availability go down, but the prices went sky high. So I just want to mention that because you started seeing all these memes about, you know, somebody proposing and instead of there being a ring in the box, it was an egg because, you know, they were give, give her something that shows that you care. And it right. was an egg in there because it was they're crazy expensive. And in at the beginning of this year, 2023, eggs were as much as $18 a dozen in places like New York and L.A. I don't know what they were in Chicago, uh, wow. but that's just for regular chicken eggs. And considering that Americans eat as many as 280 eggs per year per person. Really? That's, uh, yeah, that's a mix. I believe that mixed into everything. I mean, as ingredients oh, sure. and everything, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you see them everywhere, and as you see them powdered in industrial products, and I know you see them in cocktails uh, quite a bit. Uh, I love a good eggy. We talked about that around Christmas, all of the egg uh, kind of. Oh, like the eggnogs and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm doing egg and egg white today. In a oh, good. Well, um, I. So you have to keep listening. You have to keep listening <laughs> to this, this, this seagull nonsense if you want to get to the cocktail. Oh, I'm I was sorry. so hoping. I was so hoping there'd be some frog caviar as a garnish on my martini. Sweet. In um, <laughs> uh, an egg. Sweet baby Jesus in an egg. He was once an egg uh, at some point. Uh, anyway, that, that's pretty much where I wanted to land is that 
that they're not only were they incredibly expensive, but there was uh, because of demand. But there was an avian flu, like a yeah, bird flu, flu. Yeah. that that kind of culled a lot of uh, the, the egg laying populations in the world, including ducks and chickens uh, and probably frogs and seagulls. But what's wild is that now that they're saying prices are back down to normal, I'm still seeing them in like the five dollar a dozen. Right? Are you really? Yeah, they're, which... they're like I saw them yesterday. Two dozen for four bucks. So two oh, that's bucks great. a dozen. That's great. And I think that there were before this started, what, a dollar eighty nine? That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Under two bucks. Yeah. Under yeah. Two so bucks. they're they're getting back to normal. But you know they're gonna keep them high yeah. for a while. That's what I was saying. Normal can. Yeah, normal becomes not normal. Like, you know, right. it's yeah, once we get used to paying eighteen dollars, then well, we could be we'll land at five. They're still too expensive to throw at somebody's house at Halloween or mm. uh, you know, egg somebody's yeah, it's not worth that. So um, well, good. That's I'm. I'm gonna before I bring in some other critter's egg, I'll I'll uh, yield the microphone. Well, I eggs are just as you said, it's so big a topic. So I just wanted to talk about one preparation of eggs. I just I just like to talk about uh, this because I am a major fan of like I like I like a fried egg or boiled oh, egg. Yeah. I don't love scrambled eggs, and I never really gave it a lot of thought until I realized. That the reason why I didn't really love scrambled eggs is because I had never had them really cooked properly. Mm. And it turns out it's not that I'm not a fan of scrambled eggs. I'm just not a fan of American scrambled eggs because we cook them terribly. Oh, we do. They're dry and yeah. rubbery. Yeah, that's called a hard scramble where we cook them over medium heat for a long time or high heat for a very short time. And do you know who's guilty of cooking them over high heat for a very short time? Oh, you're going to call out somebody by name? Yes. Oh, no. Steve McDonough. Oh, the worst, you. <laughs> the worst, the worst. And and every time they're like cooked all the way through, you might have that line of white and yellow and yeah, yeah. they can even be like flaky or or, or then it, to make up for it. I think that's why Americans put so much crap into the eggs, so much cheese yeah, yeah. into the eggs. And it's not to make them delicious. It's just to bring some of that creaminess back. Right. It's not necessary. So one morning, my friend Quincy made me scrambled eggs. And he changed my entire outlook because he took, and it's so simple, he took forever to make them. And Quincy's, <laughs> sorry, Quince, slow cook. He's generally a very, <laughs> he's thorough. say careful. He's, he's patient. What? He's thorough patient. and patient. He's thorough. But I'm like, where the hell are these eggs? You know, now it's, you know, it's time for dinner. Um, I've never seen anybody so pokey with these damn scrambled eggs. Anyway, he did it because he cooked them properly, just low and slow. So like French scrambled eggs, if you do them properly, they're, can be cooked like nearly 10 minutes. Yeah. So the low and slow method, it retains the moisture in the egg. So it's not being cooked out and it prevents like the crispy bits from appearing on the edge of the egg as it cooks, as long as you're tending to them constantly. So they have to be cooked slowly over low heat and stirred pretty much frequently yeah. so that the eggs don't stay in contact with the pan. And that results in smaller curds. Um, and oh my God, when you take the eggs off the off the stove, then and maybe add like a spoonful of sour cream. Oh, love it! <gasps> yeah, oh, that's how you do it. Yeah, that's how you do it. Or even cream cheese if you want, but just add or or like some heavy cream at the end. You know, after you take oh, them yeah. off the stove. I like a little buttermilk, like uh, just a little bit of buttermilk in there. But I'm I a buttermilk fan. Yeah, I would it's eat good. that. Perfect with seagull eggs. Anyway, <laughs> Dan gets uh mad at me now when he makes breakfast because I'm always like, hey, are you going to make him like Quincy or because, <laughs> you know, you know, we've established oh, this yeah, before. Yeah. Dan gets very threatened if I like someone else's food. Yep. He's still not over Liz's coleslaw. <laughs> coleslaw. Damn good coleslaw. We'll, we'll do an episode on Liz's coleslaw. Anyway, so <laughs> there's um this other French method of whisking the eggs until they become almost 
pourable and custardy. Mm -hmm. So you know when you have really fluffy scrambled eggs, uh, the fluffiness comes from the expansion of the heated water vapor that's trapped inside the eggs. Right. So the whisking makes the eggs less fluffy because you're breaking down those air bubbles over and over. And the low heat also reduces the fluffiness. So the eggs never get hot enough for the water vapor to expand. And you just get these, like, they, like, not runny. It's not that the right word, but they're really custardy and, like I said, almost pourable. Really interesting. Uh, over a piece of toast, just super delicious. Now, is that kind of like a sheared egg? S-H-I-R-R-E-D? Is it? I don't know. Yeah, I think, honestly, I've never had a sheared egg. And I thought that was a British thing. Maybe it's not. But um, but that's my understanding as well, is that it's, not, like you said, not pourable, but it's also smooth and and uh, just, uh, uh, you know, here, look, we're, we're, we're acknowledging our ignorance. Maybe you can chime in if you've had a, sh a sheared egg before, but I'm pretty sure that that's, uh, that's the same kind of thing. Okay, so we're back, and uh, Hans Googled sheared egg. And yeah, Hans? and uh, I'll admit when I'm wrong, I was completely wrong. So uh, scratch <laughs> that, uh, roll back. It's, sheared egg is uh, just a baked egg, essentially. It's baked in a little flat-bottom dish, and it's kind of like this half-steamed, half-baked. It looks also looks really good, uh, but not at all what you're talking about, so right. sorry for my interjection. Well, you, have you seen the way the Australians make folded eggs? Yeah, I have. That's really cool. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. So they'll take a couple of whisked eggs if you haven't seen it. And uh, if I, I, I really should put a video up of all of these things that I talk about. So they put a touch of melted butter in the pan, really low and slow. It's almost like you're making an omelet. You pour the egg into the pan and then you're going to take your uh, your spatula and kind of pull it in towards the center, which so all of the, the the eggs that aren't cooked run into the middle, right? And then you kind of take that that you've the that line that you've made of the cooked eggs and you pull it kind of around the perimeter of the pan so that you're making a rose shape. Mm. You know what I mean, guys. Yeah, if, yeah. if you've like done a rose floret on a cupcake, you're doing the same idea as that. You keep moving it in and letting the uncooked egg run into the into the valley you've just made and keep turning it. And they do that until they have this rose shape edges. And it's a little runny in the center. You take it off the heat and it'll keep cooking when you take it off the heat. And then you put it over toast or something. It's really cool. Which it's not unlike the way the Koreans do the tornado eggs. Have you mm -hmm. seen those? That's really cool too, yeah. With two really large chopsticks. So they place them in the center of their pan and they the 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 chopsticks, they place the chopsticks in the center of the pan, but not right next to each other. And then yeah. they kind of twist the pan and the sticks. And as you're twisting the pan, you're making a tornado shape out of the eggs and they take a fried rice scoop and this tornado of eggs will fit right over it because of the shape you know it's almost like the levels just kind of go right down the side of the uh, fried rice scoop they'll serve that with a chili sauce or a, or a curry love it yeah love it. it's really cool the way they do it it's street food yeah the tornado eggs um we could do an episode just on scrambled eggs and maybe we we should because there's a lot there. Um, but I want to talk about the egg dish that I had yesterday. I had quiche. 
Oh, nice. Uh, was any any particular reason? Do you know I had quiche yesterday, which for <laughs> us was Saturday, May 6, 2023? Uh, uh, yes, it was a new uh, new god was anointed, I think. It was new... the coronation. Natalie, give me some coronation music, maybe like a sting of rule Britannia or maybe uh, would uh, Zadok the priest. They played that as it was coordinated. Wow. It's really catchy. It's handle. Uh, yeah, Natalie said, no, don't do Zadok. A little uh, rule Britannia. Go. All right. So in case you've been living under a rock, King Charles III, and and it's kind of weird because some of the stuff I'm going to talk about with him, he was a prince at the time, but I'm just going to call him king now. Okay. In case you've been living under a rock, as I said, they have chosen a bean and spinach quiche as their signature dish of their coronation celebrations. So the official website of the British royal family describes it as a deep dish quiche with a light pastry case and delicate flavors of spinach broad beans, which we know as fava beans, and fresh tarragon. Uh, and the idea is that people would make it at home and have serve it communally. So I kind of love that, although I thought it was surprising that a country known for lamb and roast beef, that they opted for a bean and spinach quiche. It might be what they went to the market after Brexit, and that's pretty much all they had on hand was some fava beans and spinach and eggs and thought, <laughs> this is going to be our national dish. This is what we got on hand. Well, I guess so. I mean, um, also, it could be because Charles uh, is fairly careful about what he eats. But we made it yesterday uh, and uh, made a little video. So I will I will do show you that. Nice. Um, it was very spring-like. Uh, it was creamy, cheesy. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of tarragon, actually, but mm. it's not my favorite herb. And I couldn't find fresh tarragon. Oh, it's I know a guy. Spring. I would have. I, I know. I bet you probably have door. it, right? Yeah, yeah. You could have come right next door. <laughs> yeah, they they didn't have it, and I didn't want to go to three supermarkets. I just wasn't in the mood, so I used dried. Anyway, uh, Charles eats a plant based diet two days of the week, uh, and he really focuses on seasonal local ingredients, and he goes dairy free one day a week. Oh. But today's theme is King Charles loves eggs and cheese. <laughs> So one of the former palace chefs is a guy named Darren McGrady. Have you heard of chef Darren McGrady? I have not. I hadn't either. And he's one of those people that I need to trick into being my new friend. All right. So uh, I'll get to him more towards the end. But Chef McGrady says that King Charles had one of the first organically certified. <laughs> ah! Certified. Don't even take that out. I like that. He certified. had one of the first organically certified farms in the UK with an incredible vegetable garden. And he had cattle. And that he would take his chefs along with him to Balmoral to go wild mushroom hunting on nice. the property. I thought that was really interesting. So he eats a very healthy breakfast. We're going to talk about what he eats every day. He eats muesli, seeds, and fruit. He eats a lot of plums because they grow them on the uh, property. He'll have them poached for breakfast. He has tea with six, six different types of honey to choose wow. from. Oh, I thought you meant all at the same time. Gotcha. He's got no, a, no, he, has a, yeah. he wants a choice of, of teas. And I read that... Uh, they have to travel with a box of his breakfast uh. needs. So, and he must do a lot of traveling. So they've got a breakfast box. Nice. But according to my new future friend, Chef McGrady, um, King Charles' favorite weekend brunch recipe is cheesy baked eggs. And you were just talking about baked, baked eggs. And I watched my future friend, Chef Darren McGrady. He made this on his YouTube channel. So you bake this recipe in like a, little individual oven-proof dishes. You line the dish with spinach, cherry tomatoes, maybe some prosciutto if mm -hmm. you'd like, and dots of a strong soft cheese. 
Then make a little well in the center and you put one egg in there with the yolk intact. Cover all of that in double cream. Mm. Now, double cream in the UK is like heavy cream, but our heavy cream is 36% milk fat, whereas double cream is 48% milk fat. Wow. So it's Would you very get, I rich. think you can get that here in specialty shops. They'll have it, uh, the higher milk fat, the... Um... It's there's heavy cream, 36%. And then there's like extra heavy or ultra heavy or something. I've seen oh, it. Yeah. In, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. So there that maybe that's what we call it then. So you're going to top that off with more cheese, a grated hard cheese, salt, pepper, and fresh basil, and you bake it. Um, now he says the King eats this for a weekend brunch, but it is so heavy that I kind of wonder, I'm, I'm kind of a little distrustful. I wonder if this was something that they put out as a promotion to eat more English cheese. Yeah. You know, because it is really cheesy uh, and I'd love to try it, but I would prefer to have it as maybe a late lunch with some toasted sourdough and a glass of white wine. Um, yeah, it looks really good. Sounds good. Uh, so moving forward, the king does not eat lunch. Oh, OK. Don't ask. According to the Telegraph, the king believes lunch is a luxury that interferes with his busy schedule. Wait, wait, of all the things, you, he's got 87 types of honey. He doesn't have the luxury of time. He's Hansel. got he's got an, his own valet or valet bringing in 42 luxury and a half. Of time. He's got a busy schedule. It's too luxurious for me. But today's theme <laughs> is King Charles loves eggs and cheese. That's right, that's right. And he is rumored to have an egg every day at tea. So, okay, so before we dig into that, we have to define our terms, as you like to say, Hans. So British meals, when is tea? Yes, you that's have a good breakfast idea. breakfast or brekkie sometimes. You can have a pre-lunch break, like okay. what we would have as a coffee break, which is called Elevenses, which is adorable. It's working class. Working class people would have oh. Elevenses. And then you have lunch. But regionally, lunch might be called dinner. And then you can have afternoon tea. Now, afternoon tea would be okay. around four o'clock, three o'clock. That would be your snacks, your scones, your cookies, your pastries, your hot tea, finger sandwiches. That's afternoon tea. But other regions might have high tea. And high tea isn't just fancy afternoon tea. High tea is actually a meal at five or six o'clock, also working class, more substantial meat, potatoes, and casseroles. But your evening meal might also be called dinner or supper or just plain tea. If your afternoon mm. tea, your high tea, or tea. And if you call your evening meal okay. supper, you are officially posh. But when I lived in England as a kid for a while, lunch was called dinner and dinner was called tea. So breakfast, dinner, tea. And do you know what we called the lunch wow. lady? The uh, elevensies? No. <laughs> the no. dinner lady. Oh, the dinner lady. Mm. Yeah, so we had tea. You cry in your tea, which you hurl in the sea when you see me go by. All right. That's what, that's what, that's what uh, he was doing yesterday as he got that crown. He's like, you'll be back soon. You'll see. Did you see him like that? He was angry. No, I didn't watch it. What do you think it's time for? I, I imagine it's to stump the royal guy. Stump the All right. So as, as they are crowning King Charles, he looked right into the camera at all the Americans and he said, you'll be back soon. You'll see. You'll remember you belong to me. Oceans rise, empires fall. We have seen each other through it all. And when push comes to shove, 
I will send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. Da, 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 da. What is that, Hans? It's a modern classic. Opened on Broadway in 2015, King George III, who was coronated in 1760, sings that America will come crawling back to him. I'm throwing a wild Cry guess. in I, your tea. I, I'm totally taking a guess based on the time frame. I haven't seen it. Is it Hamilton? It is Hamilton! Oh, good, 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 good. I gave you a break this week. I yeah, that was, that uh, even I, even though I don't live under a rock, I live next to a guy who lives under a rock, so, uh, you know. Last episode, Stumper, was our mozzarella episode where our guest, Paula Lambert, helped you guess that good, fresh smell of mozzarella in the air was from most happy fella. Fella. All right, so let's go on with Charles's egg drama. So I was just saying that he's rumored to have an egg every day at tea, and now we know what we're talking about in tea. And research shows a lot of egg intrigue about King Charles. Jeremy Paxman wrote about Prince Charles's egg demands in his book on royalty. He said Charles's staff would make him seven different three-minute soft-boiled eggs for breakfast oh. because his staff was never quite sure whether, this is the quote, his staff were never quite sure whether the egg would be precisely to the satisfactory hardness a series of eggs was cooked and laid out in an ascending row of numbers. If the prince felt that number five was too runny, he could knock the top off number six or seven. Buckingham Palace says this is bollocks. And, quote, he doesn't and never has done at breakfast or any other time. Knock the nice. tops off of six or seven. I do love a soft-boiled egg, though. Like in the morning, what you call a three-minute egg or whatever, although it's never three minutes. But uh, that is one of my favorite things on the planet, to be able to have that where it's just slightly set. I love it. Do you it. take the top off of it? I do, yeah, yeah. And I've got the little yeah. egg cups. Or I should say yeah. Amy has a collection of little egg cups and little oh, egg, egg spoons. Cups. Of course she does. Of course she does. But, uh, but yeah, I love them. That's one of my favorite breakfast items. Well, it doesn't matter if it's true or not because, you know, it might be just palace gossip because uh, today's theme is King Charles Loves Eggs and Cheese. And Wendy Berry, who worked for Prince Charles and Princess Diana for years, she also wrote about the royal eggs in her book, The Housekeeper's Diary. That sounds wrote, naughty. It sounds it naughty does, to right? write it's, about the royal eggs. Listen, you, were, I, you, you okay. started it. She wrote, quote, after the day's hunting, Charles would occasionally invite people he met out on the field back to Highgrove mm. for boiled eggs and whiskey. Yeah. Take a moment there. I knew that Charles wanted his eggs cooked for three minutes exactly, and we usually had several pots on the go to ensure that at least one batch was perfect. No. The others were simply thrown Pickle away. Pickle them. Make pickled eggs. I don't believe that part. They did. I'm sure they did something with them. Uh, Graham Tinsley, who catered royal estate banquets, he said that Charles, quote, requires a side salad for every meal, and this salad was very precise. Charles is actually a fan of a coddled egg, a boiled egg, which has only been cooked for about two to three minutes, and it always is on the menu for him. So he said, normally a soft-boiled egg takes around five minutes. So imagine this coddled egg. It's going to be yep. very, very soft, like you were saying, the soft-boiled egg. How, do, how yeah. are you really going to shell it, right? You just take the top off of it. The royal required a coddled egg that was peeled and hidden beneath lettuce le salad leaves. He would then mash his salad leaves into the eggs to oh, make a dressing. I like how he had to hide eggs. it. It's like a little game of hide and seek. <laughs> right. Easter eggs. Um, but, I, you know, I love that. It sounds yeah. like, you know, like that, uh, the, with the, the Lyonnaise. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. A Lyonnaise salad with, you know, with the lardon. Oh, the crispy lardon and the, the soft egg and oh my gosh, and arugula and uh, best. Yeah. Um, do you watch The Crown? Uh, no, I haven't. 
I know, stupid question. I know yep, you don't watch yep, the crown. Yep. So Josh O'Connor played young <laughs> Prince Charles in season three, and he told Town and Country magazine he wants to ask Charles one question. He says, I wouldn't ask him anything about Diana. I wouldn't ask him anything about Camilla. I just want to know about the boiled eggs. <laughs> he's got a <laughs> reputation. And the cheese. All right. So apparently he's got some other quirks and special demands, King Charles. Whenever he goes to a banquet or travels with staff, there are demands. So do you want a quiz? A royal quiz? I love quiz? a good quiz. Let's do it. This one's, this one's true or false. Oh, good. True or false quiz on what Charles demands uh, for his, his, uh, his King Charles rider, as it were. Yep. All right. True or false. Whenever he uh, travels, they have to place in front of him his own personal uh, silver container of Maldon sea salt that he brought along. I would say true to that. That is true. He brings his own private toilet seat. True or false? I'm going to hope that's false. It is true. Oh, wow. He brings his own toilet paper. Charmin quilted, to be, to be precise. I think that's going to be false. It is false. You're right. Because the brand that he brings is velvet. He brings oh, his own toilet paper along with It's probably him. actual velvet. velvet. It probably is really it's purple. <laughs> purple. They velvet. don't sell it in the States, actually. Yeah. I looked it up. Uh, he requires that they bring three landscapes of the Scottish Highlands to be hung into the room he's staying in. True or false? I hope that's false. It is false. He requires they bring two landscapes oh, of the God. Scottish Highlands wherever he goes that are that's hung bad. into the room. That's bad feng shui. If you're going to bring them, bring three. <laughs> um. That his valet squeezes one inch of toothpaste onto his toothbrush. God, I hope that's false. That's true. Wow. That he has a valet iron his pajamas. I'm going to say true. That is true. That he has a valet replace his shoelaces every day. That has to be false. It is false. His valet only irons oh. his shoelaces every day. <laughs> I don't know which is worse. I, I don't know which is worse. Well. It's ironing. Yeah, okay, you're right, you're right. The valet irons well, his shoelaces every day. Well. When I read that, I'm like, okay, I know what our quiz is going to be based on today. And wouldn't the little plastic ends melt? He probably didn't. You he think doesn't he have, uses plastic he ends? Have... The ends of his shoelaces are made of yeah. human bone. <laughs> and, gold. and gold fillings from the... Uh, from from the, the teeth of his yeah, enemies. From the teeth of his enemies, there you go. Um, and last one, they carry around special ice cube trays. In the shape of... Uh, round say, ice cubes. Round. Uh, I'll say that that's probably true. That is true because they don't like square ice cubes. The royals don't like the clinking sound that mm. the ice cubes make, so they demand round ice cubes. And here we go. In fairness, if I were king, I would so do this. You I would? would so. Oh, are you kidding? I are you kidding? Love. I would. I would take some poor, some poor peasant out of the gutter that's eating like raw rat, and I'd pick him up and I'd say, "You are." I'm going to rescue you. You're going to carry around my ice cube trays. And he could, he could be, he would be so happy. He could eat cooked rat. I would let him do that then once he was my ice cube. I would rescue him. That's what and I would do for one, you could make one peasant. Like perfectly round, like frog eggs, um, ice, ice cubes. All right. As to dinner, he really doesn't like sweets and he dislikes chocolate. But since today's theme is King Charles loves eggs and cheese. So after dinner, he enjoys cheese with biscuits, but like thick oat crackers, like not, yep. you know, cookies, biscuits, or yep. skinny ones, specifically his own brand. Oh. Did you know that uh, he owns a food and produce company? 
No, but I've seen like where it says by appointment of Her Royal Majesty, like where it was sort of endorsed mm -hmm. by. But this yeah, is his not own. This though, this is his own. Uh, called Duchy Organic. Duchy is uh, dukedom. Okay, that's his area. So in 1990, Prince Charles at the time started Duchy Originals as an outlet for his organic food. This his organic food, his his uh, focus on the environment, trying to kind of short uh, keep an eye on his own carbon footprint for as much as a man like this travels. Um, is really admirable. We don't admirable. We don't have a lot of uh, world leaders like sure. worried about like being very vocal about our environment. And he does. So, you know, props to him. So this was an outlet for his organic food. And the first product was these Oaten biscuits, which is a thick, really expensive cracker type biscuit with kind of a muted honey flavor. Mm. Uh, and that went on to other sustainable foods, including milk, where that wasn't homogenized. And the cream uh, rises to the top. Um, all of his um, profits go to the Prince's uh, Charitable Foundation. And he, they've raised over 30 million pounds with profits from this. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he does like them pre-warmed. So they staff keeps a warming pan for his majesty's biscuits. Wow. So you mean like a? I I can imagine a British biscuit. So it's like a cracker for the uninitiated. It's like a thick cracker. You can get them on Amazon. I was going to buy them myself so I could talk about them more, little, but little I couldn't get them in time. And they're a little crumbly, if I'm they not look, mistaken. Yeah, they probably are because they're oat. I would assume they're a yeah. little crumbly. Yes, I just can't thick. imagine. They've got, they're beautifully stamped with like a, like mm. probably a thistle and a, a shield on it. Uh, and they're supposed to be delicious, but they're very expensive. It I is imagine. Like, they're sold in, uh, he's partnered with Waitrose, which mm. is kind of like a Whole Foods right. uh, supermarket in the UK. Maybe not quite as posh as Whole Foods, but still. I've never thought about like warming a that kind of a starchy thing. Like that's uh, that but idea intrigues it me. It makes great sense. Oh, yeah. You put a nice piece of soft cheese on a cracker that's a I'm, little warm. I'm on board. I mean, come on. I would take another another gutter snipe, <laughs> and I would I would have him warm my crackers. There you go. That also sounds like he's bad. People that I'm saving. Oh, as you are. Do you? Uh, yeah. That sounds like a euphemism though. Warming warming really, my crackers. I'd be a, I'd be a really good king. People would love me. <laughs> Quick sponsor break. I want to tell you about our new sponsor. And while I do that, Steve will play copyright-free Italian music on the accordion. Now, years ago, while hosting a food and wine tour in Italy, I met Massimo of Di Leonardo Wines. The Di Leonardo family has been producing wine since 1878, which makes Massimo a fifth-generation winemaker. Now, Fruili is a small region in extreme northeast Italy, and it's the best area for making white wines. It has the perfect geographic position, shielded on one side by the Alps and nestled by the Adriatic Sea on the other. On our visit, we tried so many great varietals, and it's hard to pick a favorite, but I fell in love with the slightly sweet, low-acid white wine that they call Toh, T-O-H, and he paired it beautifully with white asparagus and local Montazio cheese that they served along at the tasting absolutely delicious. Now, if Steve weren't so busy on the accordion, he'd tell you that he recently enjoyed the Pinot Grigio for Easter dinner, along with the traditional Italian Easter pie, which he finally forced Dan to make. Now, my point is that I have friends in the wine business, and now, by association, so do you. So look for Di Leonardo Wines at your favorite wine shop, or look for Di Leonardo Wines at your favorite online retailer, or the next time you happen to be in Udine, Look for Massimo and his family hanging out in their vineyards, and I guarantee they'll share a glass with you, especially now that we're all friends. So briefly, 
uh, I want to talk about uh, the just two other coronation dishes because we talked about the coronation quiche. Queen Elizabeth had coronation chicken, um, her coronation luncheon guests in 1953. They did a poulet reine Elizabeth uh, developed by chefs from the Cordon Bleu. It was a room temperature chicken dish cooked in red wine with a cream curry sauce that you would serve mm. over salad. And it started out as a French technique, a classic French technique. But basically now it is a chicken salad filling, sandwich filling. Um, over the years, it's just become something that you would go to a supermarket and have a chicken, a coronation chicken salad sandwich. And it's funny because young Brits who are now learning about coronation quiche, which is bringing us to the coronation chicken, are like, hold, wait a minute. Coronation chicken isn't a flavor <laughs> it had a history they just thought it was like you know sure curry chicken coronation chicken which i thought was pretty funny but the last thing i want to close out with was what was served for william the conqueror's coronation in 1068 up until the coronation of george the fourth in 1821 a thousand year old soup huh was always served at all of them for over 800 years so my soon-to-be friend darren mcgrady who i'm going to trick into being my friend he spent 11 years as private chef for the Queen and Princess Diana. And now he lives in the States. He has a catering company and a line of fish and chip trucks named after his dog, Winston. Can you see why he has to be my friend? Yeah, he needs to be your friend. I'm, I'm just starting to wonder, though, did you trick me into being your friend? I can't remember. Is that no, how it started? No, you begged me for so long until okay. I finally... <laughs> Got it. I couldn't remember. I, you you gutter snipe. I pulled you out of the gutter. <laughs> oh, good. Do you not remember good. this? Thank you. I, I owe you so much. I owe you so much. <laughs> Um, anyway, he has this fun YouTube channel, and he made this soup on it. It's called Dillagrout. So Dillagrout, you take almonds, you soak them in water overnight, and then you blend those with sweet wine and pine nuts, mace, clove, uh -huh. sugar, and then you put in cut chicken and ground chicken. So it's almost like a, a potage. It is also a potage, you know, like a kind of Sioux stew sure. kind of hybrid. Um, and it, he makes this odd soup. It really sounds odd. He tastes it and he says, it's not as strange as I expected it to be. And then he called his dog Winston over. <laughs> so, <laughs> in the end, he's he's really fun and normal. In the end, he writes, I'm not sharing this recipe for this dish because I don't want you to make it. No. He said, honestly, it didn't taste that good at all. And I don't want you wasting money on ingredients. That's so, yep, Nice I like guy, that. right? Yep. We have to. Anyway. That is what we had. We did not have Dillagroot. We had um, Coronation Quiche in its place. Sounds good. And, in, and now it is time, since we're talking about Dillagroot, to go to the Dillagroot recipes. The only thing that's hotter than the oven is watching you cook. All right. Well, listen, my my first instinct was to do the coronation quiche, and you were kind enough to say that there are about nine zillion uh, variations of that or recipes of that. Oh, it's well, not everywhere. even variations. The recipes are everywhere online. Yeah. That's yeah. how we just pulled up the BBC one. Well, that's great. I think that's that's awesome. So that'll that's a, an easy one you can find. But when we started talking about eggs, it reminded me when back when you tricked me to be your friend, or I begged you to be your friend. Yeah, exactly right. We were met at the at the Next Food Network Star season one, as many of you know, and we had all of these crazy challenges thrown at us. And one of the first challenges was eggs, right? So they oh, kind of yeah. did they, that was their thing. Is they like it's yeah. versatile? It can define who you are and your there's your culinary point of view, which is something they kept talking about to the point where they started calling it your CPV. So they were wanted us to come up with our culinary point of view, and they thought that uh, an egg dish would do it. So. 
Um, qu- quick aside, there was one contestant uh, who loved the Statue of Liberty whose um, egg dish failed. It was stuck to the pan, and it was this awful mess. And all of us, oh. being the first challenge, we were all, like, biting our nails, like, oh, my God, this poor person is is suffering through this horrible experience right now. When When the show actually aired, they had taken footage of our friend Michael Thomas and I laughing you know, about something completely different. But when they edited the they show did. together, it shows Michael and I laughing as her egg dish Ooh, is burning. Ouch. And so my wife looked at me and said, that is so mean. I can't believe you're laughing at her. And I'm like, I'm not, I, we weren't. You know, Michael and I and everybody oh. else, we were so, we all yeah. just met. We was this, you know, there was no competition at that point. But anyway, yeah. uh, I, I digress. But so I, I knew that folks were going to start doing quiches and frittatas and, and, you know, those kind of things. So I wanted to zig when others zagged. So I made, uh, which was my favorite German soup, which is called frittaten soup. And a frittaten soup is essentially, I love a good crepe. I love a good pancake. And it's essentially these egg, egg crepes. So, so it's just eggs, a tiny bit of flour, if at all. Um, and you make these, these paper thin crepes, you roll them up, you, you shift on them, you cut them into thin strips and you, you eat those in the center oh, yeah, of a bowl. Yeah surrounded by a good broth and uh, it can be a vegetable broth chicken broth whatever but basically wherever you travel in germany that's one of those um regional specialties what they put around the crepes or the crepes might have scallions in them or they might even have uh cabbage thinly sliced kind of in the soup Uh, but i love it and it's so simple and the great thing is those egg crepes it, it doesn't take much to make them and you can, if you make too many of them, you can eat them sweet. I, I love dishes that you can make once and then take them in a, in a hundred different directions. So um, the recipe comes from my cookbook, Eat Like There's No Tomorrow. And like I said, it was the first thing that I cooked in front of the, my new friends at the Next Food Network store, which almost 20 years ago now, which is pretty crazy to think. All right. <clears throat> um, and also delicious. I like the yeah. idea of that soup. Uh, I'm going to do an old school whiskey sour because there is nothing like an egg white in a cocktail. Now, if you are getting pasteurized eggs, if you are washing the outside and using the egg white, you can use an egg in your cocktail. Um, like I said, just wash the outside first and try not to let, you know, get, yeah, that's all, just wash it. Um, you can use it, I do use it, and using an egg gives a really, uh, uh, just like a luxurious feeling in your mouth. So what you're gonna do is crack the egg white Crack the egg, of course, and just put the egg white into your cocktail shaker. Close up your cocktail shaker and shake the hell out of it because you want to really get a ton of bubbles into that. Now, when you're through, that's called a dry shake, by the way. You're not putting in ice or anything else. You're just dry shaking the egg white. When you do, make sure you take the cap off because you're building up a lot of pressure from those bubbles. And if you just place your your uh your your shaker down the top will just pop off okay when you said take the cap off i thought you're shaking it with the cap off i see what you mean after you've shaken it you take the cap yes. off yes, yes got it. otherwise it's release the air yeah got it. um and the thing about a whiskey sour is it's all about the proper uh balance of ingredients it's just all about the measurements and i worked really hard on this one you're going to use two ounces of a blended whiskey like a cc i prefer a blended whiskey other than other whiskeys because it's just smoother and rounder and makes a better whiskey sour half an ounce of lemon juice half an ounce of fresh lime juice three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup follow the directions on this one making sure you're using fresh juices and it is the right proportions and then shake it again 
uh, wait for the the kind of egg to kind of separate and give you that froth in your glass. Garnish it with a cherry and an orange slice. Old school, my old school whiskey sour. I promise you, it is delicious. I had to wean my mother-in-law off of these. Now, you didn't specify. Do you mean a chicken egg for this recipe? You didn't? Well, you if you're serving a lot of people, you should use a um, an ostrich egg. Okay, good, good. And get a if, really big shaker. Yeah, if you really hate your friends, use a seagull egg. Or a frog egg. Even Jesus, you're don't going. even. Just stop it. <laughs> So if you want any of these recipes, go to our website, butidigestpodcast.com. All of the recipes are on the website. They're just there to, for yep. the taking. Pick them up. Oh, oh my gosh. Uh, you can email us at, I don't. I said that in a weird way, but you can do it anyway, butidigestpodcast at gmail.com, Facebook and Instagram, butidigestpodcast, Twitter at butidigestpod. Also on our website, you'll find a link to Hans's Lines of Spices, as well as a link to download my cocktail book, The New Old Bar. Find a couple drinks that you can put an egg in. Do it. Do it. Special thanks to our web designer, Hewitt Rabel, to our editor, Natalie DeChico, special music by Corey Goodrich, and our theme music is by Brian Reyes. Hey, I, I do real quick. Brian Reyes told me about a uh, a Filipino egg dish called balut, B-A-L-U-T. I'm not going to gross you out. Google it. Look it up. I'm going to leave you with that. <laughs> and I think that we need to, to go out today with Zadok the priest. Natalie, 